Hey, what's going on, guys? Dom the Movie Nerd here, and have you heard the good word? Game of Thrones is back! Well, not really, but the first official spinoff, House of the Dragon, is set to premiere next year on HBO, and that got me thinking about how Game of Thrones, the number one most-watched show for a decade, just seemingly disappeared from the culture after that god-awful finale. And I wanted to find out why, which is why I'm proud to present the newest hit show from the Talking TV network, Talking Thrones, the new weekly show where myself and friend of the channel, Professor Pat Huber, get together to break down each and every single episode of this hit show. We've got focus character segments, we break down the lore, we go over some old reviews, all to get to the question of where did this show go wrong? It's a really fun time. You guys are not going to want to miss this. So head over to the Talking TV channel on YouTube and Spotify to check it out. We go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Audio goes up the following Saturday. It's going to be a really great time as we once again battle it out for the throne. We're continuing with the push to 350 subscribers, people, with the next HBO Max drop and the latest musical. Wonderful, because we have another one of those to cover. In the Heights, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda and directed by John M. Chu. Chris, are you as excited, hopefully, in a way that I wasn't to watch this? Sure, yeah. I'll only say that because I, I'll, I'll just get this over with in the preamble. I hate musicals as movies. I really, really do, especially modern ones. But we'll get into that and more on today's podcast, In the Heights. All right, buddy. So we're back. We've got another musical to talk about. You know, like it's funny because as we're getting more so into like the summer, the summer trend, right? We're getting back into like kind of the genre pieces, right? That kind of got lost with the overall shuffle. Um, we got horror last week. We had musicals this week, ultimately. So like, I don't know. Before we kind of got into this, I just wanted to break down like what your like history and relationship with musicals was, because like I've had an interesting relationship with them. And, uh, like, like I, I know that you, like, have certain thoughts about just, like, theater in general, but, like, I wanted to gauge your thought process as far as that goes before we really jumped into this movie, because I feel like it's going to have a lot to do with our conversation today. Sure, yeah. So, I kind of have this personal inner monologue with myself where, basically, I don't believe in regrets. I think you shouldn't really dwell that much in the past, but I always say, if I had any regrets from high school, it was not doing either marching band or theater. You know, I played sports, and, and I enjoyed the athletic side of things. But I also was always more foot in the artistic pool. So I do regret not taking the plunge into this medium. So I've always had like an affinity for this style of storytelling, even though I haven't consumed as much of it as I probably would have liked. But I still did grow up uh, in a household where my grandparents lived with us. And, and they're honestly both pretty, I'd say, um, eclectic in what they like to consume and watch. And so they'd go from like, you know, Seinfeld reruns to like, hey, uh, 42nd Street's on. You should sit down and watch this because actually it was a movie first and then a musical got made off of it. And, oh, you, you haven't, your parents didn't show you Oklahoma? Well, let's watch this. And so I, I do have a decent background of, you know, Fred Astaire and sort of like old showbiz style type stuff from just being in the three generational household my whole life. And so I always have like a soft spot for this medium because I think I've seen the best of it and I've enjoyed the best of it. Um, that's not to say I'm an expert by any means, but I definitely am not one of those guys who's like, 
oh, we're covering a musical this week? Uh, come on, man. Can we find something else in the schedule? Like, I'm always for entertaining the idea, if that makes sense. Yeah, my whole thing with it is that I've never been somebody who I would consider to be, like, a musical theater fan as far as that goes, right? But weirdly enough, the more that I think about it, I feel like it was always the genre and medium that had, like, one of those, like, kind of slowly creeping and croaching things like encroaching things that like without even me realizing kind of you know because like we watch like every single Disney movie that I watched when I was a kid was a musical right so obviously like I always loved that idea of like you know singing songs in my off time right because I grew up with the Disney songs right and as, as I got older and I started to get into some more of the musicals that like my parents grew up with right like I always remember it was a couple of big ones it was Sound of Music it was Mary Poppins which again kind of falls under the Disney train and then when I got into middle school it was the Music Man right and those are the big things right but musicals were never really those movies that as I got older I kind of went out of my way to watch right like I never watched Rent I never got into Bye Bye Birdie like my whole thing was is that as I was growing up right like when I was a little kid my parents both worked in the city and they would usually take us it was kind of interesting as far as that goes because we're getting a little bit more into my backstory, but I feel like it's it's all the pieces are crucial as far as determining kind of my current relationship with movies, right? And then we take us to see all these musicals when we were kids, right? I remember very vividly, I saw Lion King on uh, Broadway for uh, for my 10th birthday. I saw Tarzan. I actually saw one of the original runs of Wicked when I was like really, really young, like with Chris, with Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel. And I still have like very, very vivid memories of that. And I always loved it, right? But something odd happened, right? So, obviously, as I got older, uh, you know, I grew a little bit out of that phase, right? I started to get more into, you know, what I liked, you know, starting to get into altruistic work and mostly crime-related stuff as far as, you know, movie-related. Uh, you know, like when I, I watched The Godfather <laughs> when I was a freshman in high school, I feel like I had to, like, set Good up correction a, there. a different step. <laughs> Otherwise, who knows, you know, my new bald head may have signified a slight change in lifestyle that people may not be ready for. We're going to see Dom's mugshot as like the thumbnail for the next podcast. Oh my God. Sorry for that tangent, but to get a little bit back on track, obviously I, I think it's safe to say that I kind of left that stage of my life behind as I got older, right? But something interesting happened where in the last couple of years, right? I've been finding that more and more elements from my childhood, not necessarily elements that were kind of like, oh, it was obvious that these were going to make a comeback, but it's always right. The elements that you least expect that are going to make the comeback, right? The things where it's like, oh, man, I thought this was this one thing that only I loved and now everyone else loves, right? And in a way, what I learned is that with the internet, after a while, all of those things start to creep back into your life without you realizing it, right? At, at, at different points. And so musicals was one of those things that I'd pretty much left behind, but in a way that I hadn't really thought about, right? Because it, 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 it never, like, as far as, like, the actual musicals themselves, they never really had an impact on me as a kid in a way that, like, really made me remember like, right, like, enjoying them, right? If that makes any sense. So, in 2016, there was a little movie that came out called La La Land. And I remember seeing the trailers for it and being really, really, like, visually entranced. I thought the visuals were incredible. You know, I was really, I, I was at the peak of, like, my film bro phase, right? I think I'd seen Moonlight, like, a couple weeks before. And I'm like, I am ultimately, like, better than everyone else because I've seen this one movie that not a lot of people, that, that barely anyone will. But it's probably one of the best movies of the year. And I thought that La La Land was going to have that same effect. And needless to say, I was very surprised when La La Land turned out to be a musical. I had no idea. It was pretty all over the market. I still have no idea how I missed this. But La La Land, it turned out, was a musical. And I had not seen a musical movie, live action, 
And sometimes, so it definitely threw me off as far as that goes. And that kind of jarring feeling of like not really knowing how like the elements that make them so wonderful to watch on stage versus the things that make movies like really enjoyable to me personally. I don't know. There was just some sort of weird disconnect that happened there, right? Where I, where I, I, I recognized the brilliant filmmaking, but there was something about the, the, the qualities of it that made it a musical that just held me back from like really fully enjoying it. And for to an extent, I still just don't particularly enjoy it. And that experience continued as musicals started to make a comeback. Now, I want to make a very, very clear distinction here because as the internet tends to do in oversimplifying everything, right? I have this set as I have these very strong particular feelings that I'm going to get into for the rest of this podcast towards musicals, which is movies that have long extended sequences in which characters break the realm of reality in which they are living in order to perform these elaborate song and dance numbers, right? I do not qualify movies that are about bands, aka That Thing You Do or Sing Street or like like any other movie about a band, what about Rocket or Man? Mu- that that I'll get into that actually. That's a Rocket musical. Man for that's a musical. That's a musical, but that's weird because that straddles a line. So that so band movies or musical biopics, i.e., Straight Outta Compton or um or Bohemian those Rhapsody or Walk Hard. That those are not musicals. Those are musical biopics. But we'll get into Rocket Man as far as that goes, and and how that's able to get away with that. But I do not qualify those two groups of movies within musicals. Like what I'm talking about for the purposes of what doesn't work for me, we, these are solely musicals. You know, I'm with your you. Beauty and the Beast, your Rents, all of those, right? So that's kind of I, I just feel like I needed to like break that ice as far as that goes. Little Mermaid because musical. All, that exactly like all the Disney animated movies qualify for me a majority of those qualify yeah. as music. I think I think know? we have an established mutual baseline yeah. here to build off yeah. of. Definitely. So I, I just wanted to say that going in because I feel like all of those are gonna factor into my arguments before we even start to talk, I feel like, about this movie in general. But like Chris, my only question is did were you aware of like the history of In the Heights as far as like its history on Broadway and it's like and it's going towards the screen? No, I was actually going to say to you, if this was an original screenplay by Lin-Manuel Miranda, I would really love to go see the play because one thing I forgot to add was uh, until the pandemic, every summer I'd go to about two or three uh, Shakespeare on the Park productions. We're actually lucky enough in our area to have one of the uh, premier Shakespeare troops in the world, <laughs> thankfully, um, like in our backyard. So, I, 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 you know, I do enjoy going to theater. I've seen so many different plays and stuff, and I kind of like felt something was without spoiling our thoughts on In the Heights, a little bit lost um, uh, on the screen, that there would be a richness in the theater, in the human-to-human you know, audience uh, looking at someone on a stage interaction. Uh, without that, I felt it, it fell a little short. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that it actually is a play, because I actually very much so would be curious to go and see it. Is it was, did it have a Broadway run? I would assume so, Yeah, right? it had a very extensive Broadway run. It actually premiered all the way back in 2005, interestingly enough. Okay. So it's been around a while. Like, that's the thing. Like, people... Because, you, know, lim- you know, there's another musical that's sort of popping up in the zeitgeist with the trailer that recently made a little bit of noise called Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. Um, yes, it has. So I just was wondering because I hadn't because I know of that's that Broadway run uh, just because uh, in the music scene in my circles it's one of the few plays that like uh, a lot of my modern music friends we all kind of enjoy that style of like uh, light rock musical type thing so I, I was familiar with that but I wasn't sure about this one so that's good to know. 
Yeah, definitely. This one has been around since 2005 and actually plans to turn this into a movie have been around since 2008. Universal was originally going to do it when they adapted it. Uh, they, they, it was going to be for release in 2011. Kenny Ortega was apparently going to direct it, apparently. But again, a big thing as to why a traditionalist studio, right? This is also going to factor in as well. Um, I, I feel like to our argument as to why potentially this movie may not have done as well as it could have, which is that the reason why Universal ended up bailing on it and why a lot of studios bailed on it for a while is because they couldn't get any big name stars for it. You know, at one point they were considering they wanted actors like Shakira or Jennifer Lopez, basically a bankable star to be in this, and they just never could get it, right? So in tw but the so discussions kind of died there, but then they came back in 2012 roughly when Miranda, you know, obviously was working on Hamilton, so he was obviously starting to get a little bit of cred behind his name then unfortunately so in 2016 it was announced that he was going to co-produce it with one harvey weinstein and then needless to say everything that happened there happened and they ended up auctioning it off and then warner brothers ended up buying it for 50 million basically and uh basically they were apparently so into it that they apparently built like an entire backlot bodega with actual Piragua cards in order to persuade both Miranda and John M. Chu. And then they officially got underway in October 2018 as far as getting everything going as far as that goes. So it's had a little bit of an interesting backstory as far as how it's gotten to the screen, right? And so now that we've actually seen the movie, right, uh, in order to kind of transition this into some of our spoiler-free thoughts before we start to break down some of the rest of the movie, um, uh, what's it called? Oh my god, brain fart just happened there. Um, so... This movie obviously was announced as part of the big HBO Max lineup that happened back in November, right? And I and the big thing that I noticed was I'm like, okay, this is one of those plays that a lot of people are going to be excited about because this is one of those plays that a lot of my theater friends, you know, because I was friends with, I'll, I'll say like, I'll say like I had my sect of theater kid friends that I was friends with throughout school. This was one of the, this was one of like three or four plays that like they would not shut up about. It was like this rent. Hamilton and do you remember Hanson was making the rounds but I don't know if it was as popular I, I don't know if it was like to the like maximum level of like peak enjoyment amongst theater heads that it was like when I'm, that that it was like in the last couple of years really in it being adapted but but In the Heights was one that I've been hearing about for quite some time, like since my time at Dutchess Community College. And again, like my whole thing is I'm like, okay, I don't go out of my, like the most that I remember about going to Broadway plays is going to see whatever I would want, you know, whatever I would with my parents. I'd seen a couple of plays recently at that point. I'd seen um, South Pacific with my grandparents. I saw uh, Jersey Boys, which I enjoyed very much. And I'd seen Fiddler on the Roof uh, at that time period. So my, I, I was sort of starting to get back into musicals as far as that goes on plays. And I was kind of like starting to like rekindle myself to everything that I loved about seeing them on stage. And after watching this movie, I can safely say that I feel like without actually discussing anything in the movie yet, this kind of is reaffirming to me of everything. And I'll say this right now as to why I don't necessarily think that musicals Right, straight up musicals differentiated from band movies and musical biopics. Straight up musicals do not work as movies, and the reason why I say that is because I think there's an inherent distinction between kind of kind of what your brain has to do in order to like acknowledge right and buy into the story of seeing something on stage versus seeing something like with a screen in front of it, right? And I can't really, and, and the thing is, I can't really explain it just yet because the weird thing is that, and I have to go back and rewatch rewatch some of the older ones, is that with the older ones, 
like the ones made before in 1970, right? Your Sound of Musics, right? Your Music Mans, right? Your, um, what's it called? Your Mary Poppins, right? None of those I really, I would say, have a problem with, right? If that makes any sense. But specifically with this movie, right? As far as this is another one, very much so like, I would say, Les Mis, where it's like, they're, they're not like long sequences, right? Where they are like, uh, where there's like actual dialogue before they transition into the song and dance numbers. Like 95% of this movie is song and dance numbers. He's very elaborately drawn out, very heavily choreographed. Like honestly, like exceedingly well made. Like that's the one thing I will say. The filmmaking in this movie is impressive to say the least, right? There's a reason why they got John M. Chu specifically for his work with Crazy Rich Asians. Like he's got a very vibrant color palette. He's got a very over-stylized sense, right? But not in like a Baz Luhrmann way where there's so much editing going on that you can't really keep track so your brain is like getting a headache from like the amount of stuff that they're trying to fit in. Like he's very good about letting the camera linger, letting the camera hover on the individual characters as they're going, you know, into their song, into their uh, bits and their song and dance numbers. I'm sorry, I'm not as technically proficient. I don't know all of the exact wording and terminology with it. But all of that stuff as far as the technicals, I think is really, really good. I also like the cast. I like that this movie in particular kind of went against what it is that kind of killed the original version of this film when it was going to be adapted back in the late 2000s, which is that they don't actually have really any big name stars in this movie, right? We're going to get into that in a little bit as far as how that may have actually been a detriment in a weird way, but like you've got Anthony Ramos as the star who starred, obviously famously came up with Lynn in the original run of Hamilton. Uh, you got Corey Hawkins famously for, ironically enough, you know, playing Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. Um, you have Jimmy Smits. And, but for the most part, those are really like the only, and, and I recognized um, Rosa from, um, what's it called, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Stephanie Beatrice is one of the uh, salon ladies. But other than that, like, there aren't any big name stars in this, right? It's mostly like, uh, like character actors and like, uh, and like Broadway people and international cast. Like, it, it's, a, it's incredibly diverse, right? There, I don't think there's a single, I don't think there's a single white cast member in this entire movie. Right? I think it's it's primarily it's pri primarily Latino and African American stars. So, kind of before we get before we dive into like kind of you know what worked about this movie and and what didn't you know what were your thoughts kind of coming well both going into this movie with what I told you about it beforehand versus coming out of this movie. Yeah, well, let me just say I totally disagree with your sentiment of the fact that musicals don't work as movies. I think filmmaking's gotten lazy. Um, in you know 1990 onward, I think 1994 to me, based off the studies and what we've kind of been doing here on the podcast in the past few years, seems where we peaked really as far as a beautiful blend between storytelling and you know uh, audience engagement and just the overall product being a little bit of something for everyone. Because I mean, if you go back and you look at Oklahoma, you look at 42nd Street, which was famously the the, the movie before it became about. one of the longest running plays ever in Broadway. I mean, that movie had to be good to go on to garner that type of response, right? I just think it's what 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 we've been learning doing this whole action movie sort of thing this year, right? Like we always joke behind the scenes that this is the year of action movies on talking TV because we've been sort of going back and playing catch up for me on some of the sort of one-off action films, like the face-offs of the world that I hadn't seen. And then of course, catching me up on some franchises that started in the nineties, like Mission Impossible, which I recently covered this past year for the show. And of course, Fast and Furious, which started in 2001, which had some of that lingering 1990-isms to it. Of course, like the first few years of any decade aren't really established yet or defined as their own unique thing. And, and you can see through the progressions of all these franchises, 
just how quickly we become, as I like to use a lot on the show lately, homogenized or the Marvel-isms seep through. And I don't blame Marvel. They did something no one's been able to do. I think we were heading this way before Marvel came around, but filmmaking has just become more sloppy and lazy. And obviously it's because of the internet and streaming being the first real competitor to the traditional theater system. There's so many variables, right? But I I just think it's unfair to say that they don't work as movies because we've had so many points and examples of them working in the past, especially when you think about where everything we love came from, right? Film and TV came from vaudeville and, and these like variety shows where, where the host had to be able to sing, act, dance, you know, like all of these, he even had to do a little comedy or she even had to do a little comedy, like, you know? So it's like, I think the multifaceted sort of mixing of genres and styles is really what Hollywood's built upon. And I would rather say we lost it rather than the movies have lost the ability to be good in them. I just think it comes down to knowing your history and, 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 you know, all the musicians that I love that I, I, I see them as true artists that aren't just trends in the moment, they, they can go back and they can name like the BB King records. Like they're not just playing a style that was built upon something of which they know nothing about. They, they know the homework, they, they understand the history and it enriches their art. And so like, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda does actually know uh, musical history. I, I mean, he knows obviously history with Hamilton. No pun intended there. No joke intended. But so I, I think like he is a true artist for sure. Um, but I just don't think we have a lot of those. And I think that's why a lot of these musicals fall on their faces, especially in modern days. And, and it's even crazy when you have ones that are built on like legends like Elton John and that movie is just god awful and atrocious and, and terrible yeah. and he's even a consultant yeah. on it and it and it fails as miserably as it does it just shows like man like i, I don't know we went to film school I, I had no classes that aside from watching citizen kane and battleship potemkin thank you professor pat that gave me any sort of enrichment in old classic filmmaking and that's a huge part of it understanding i think the shoulders of which you stand upon because i always thought of art as carrying the torch forward right you're you're, you're building upon what someone put before you so i do disagree with that sentiment although i can see how it's marred and it's lost and i just don't think because because you know like a lot of our friends man they can't name movies like 10 years before they're born like we they can't name songs like 10 years before they're born like an old song to them is five years old no, yep. an old song is Beethoven or something. An old song is like a Gregorian chant, like you know, like yep. from the, yep. the 1200s. Like I'm with you, but I'm with you as far as it goes. So I was actually going to say, like, like talk more about that because we talked a lot about, um, you know, kind of that there are just kind of the disconnect of this specific generation of artists versus what came before that, right? But like, why do you think that? Is it only because of the internet, or is there more to that? Because I feel like we kind of hinted at that in previous podcasts, but like I wanted to dive more into that because you're a hundred percent right with all the points that you brought up well again it's only my opinion uh, obviously we're like-minded and we're friends and in our personal conversations kind of echo some of what we're saying here right now but i just think it's i think it's a lot of different factors i think definitely the internet and sort of that whole statistic of like the human attention span shrinking to like less than seven seconds just because of how fast information travels and you have seven seconds to hook someone. I don't necessarily know how true that is or not, but the fact that that's like a verifiable statistic is insane because I I remember looking and I don't remember the exact number, but in the past it was a far higher number. It was still within the seconds, 
that you had to hook someone and rope them in. Like this is an advertising statistic, so think commercials aren't that long. But like just the fact that the window is that short, you only have seven seconds to make an impact because of how fast technology and information moves. That's pretty crazy to me. I also think musicals are a bit of an antiquated style. Um, and I only really think they are because of the way that they've been treated and handled and sort of put on the shelf, in a sense, as like this old sort of nostalgic item that you only dust off when you want a taste of yesteryear. Uh, again, I think that that's a little um, distasteful. And I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is doing a great job of trying to change that. But he's like really the only playwright turned screenwriter that I could name that's really making an impact in the modern day. Maybe... Maybe, just maybe, um, who who does the Phantom of the Opera? Um, the legend. Andrew Lloyd, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Maybe he's like the only other one, right? But but even he's getting up there in years and he hasn't, you know, he tried and he, he definitely made an impact. The movie was, it made money regardless if it was good or bad. And obviously like, you know, Phantom of the Opera was huge and, and it's 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 of recent time and then Cats as well. Um, but it's just like, there's like the only two right there. Like, who else can you name? Right. We can name like... Yeah. I can name 30 horror directors if you give me time. I can name yeah. two playwrights in the modern day that are pushing the flag. And maybe that just shows how out, far outside of our realm we are right now. But And if we are, let us know, obviously, in the comments what you think. But just as a musician and as someone who maybe not has been a film connoisseur for as long as you, but certainly has studied art and the industry because I want to be in it. These are just some of the things I personally feel. See, this is why I, I knew that you were going to be able to give me the perspective that I needed because, like, I'll admit, like, as 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 into film as I am, I'll admit there are certain areas that I'm very weak with, and, and musical is one of them. But I think you hit the nail on the head as far as the point that you made about musicals and that specifically that style of storytelling being an antiquated style. I think that I think that you hit it 100 percent because the again, like, with the exception of like those few people, right? Joel Schumacher, what he did with that Phantom of the Opera movie that came out in 04, Tom Hooper, right, with his most recent adaptations with Les Mis and Cat both of which have been, the reactions of those movies have been very, very mixed. And now with everything that Lin-Manuel Miranda is trying to do, and props to him for trying to do it, because you're right, I think he is the only one that is trying to take that antiquated style of storytelling and and not improve it, but like come up with a new style like for a modern day audience. You know, I think he's been largely successful with Hamilton, right? But like, what other ones has there been besides Hamilton? I feel like this is the first one that like could have had a chance to make an impact. You know, it's not just this. I know he's also got a movie coming out on Netflix later this year with Andrew Garfield called Tick, Tick, Boom, which is actually Andrew. That's going to be another interesting new take on it where Andrew Garfield is playing, is portraying the writer of Rent. And it's kind of like a, like all the events that he goes through as far as like how he wrote it. And I think you hit the nail on the head because the right, the style of musical storytelling is very antiquated. And because it hasn't been, I feel like, as rich of, like, a money grab, say, in more recent times as it was back in the day in, like, the 50s and 60s when, like, musicals would be, like, some of the highest grossing movies of the year would be musicals as far as that goes. Because that's, like, all the people ended up wanting to go and see because they couldn't afford to go to Broadway, right? Um, I think that there just there hasn't been enough of an attempt and an effort by Hollywood in order to continue to... For lack of a better word, modernize it, right? And yes, Lynn gets the props that he does for that, right? And I think that this movie is definitely doing is definitely stepping in the right direction as far as um, modernizing it. But I still think that there is there's a lot of work that needs to be done as far as that goes, right? Because I'll admit there's still a lot for me that is missing from some more of the recent musical adaptations, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say this was perfect by any means of uh, right. any stretch of the imagination, but I, I do think what he does with sort of, and I don't think it's contrived or forced either. I mean, I think he probably genuinely was a fan of hip hop and also was a fan of musicals. And he kind of found like a beautiful medium, a perfect way to fuse the two, which which no one really has done before. And obviously, he also knows his culture very well. So he's able to sort of bring some of the styles of music that I'm not really that familiar with, like uh, all of like the Latin, the many different variations of Latin music and, and fuse like these three genres together, right? And it's it's kind of like a beautiful blend, a beautiful medium. Um, but I just, I think it's tough because he's the only one doing it. And, right. and it's it's gotta be, I feel like it's, gotta be really difficult to to write a musical um it's nothing i've ever wanted to do but i I mean just like think of how few we've had that have been successful since sort of like the golden age of like tin pan alley and all that and that's like 1930s 1940s 1920s it's been a long time you know so like for him to have the success he's had that isn't just success on broadway because obviously that's a scene that even though it's kind of gone away from the limelight has still thrived and been successful and and will always have its audience but at one point in time that was like the going to the movie theaters was like oh the new broadway play we have to go and see that so it's certainly not the number one medium of entertainment like it once was although it has its fans like anything else like like rock and roll you know it's not the biggest genre of music anymore now it's all about pop but there are still rock bands that make a living although they're not covered in the tabloids like they once were so I do give him props because I feel like to break through and like carry this, like I said, antiquated sort of like idea into the modern day that couldn't be any further away from it is very impressive. So with that being said, I feel like maybe we're ready to sort of end our musicals as movies topic and and sort of dive into like the critique of the film in and of itself. Are are you cool with that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like as far as the movie itself goes like it's tricky because again in kind of bouncing off of the style of antiquated um what's of the antiquated style of musicals and why there are certain parts for me necessarily that still don't work for the for for the cinematic story going trend is the fact that for me i feel like the stories in and of themselves are never really the most engaging part right like like put it this way right you don't go to a musical stage play for the story per se you go to it for the performance and the experience right and again it's it's interesting because within the film right it captures this very Oh my god, how do I put this? It captures this very kind of old school sense of like, you know, of like you said, bravado and vaudeville, you know, and you're going to see these performers, you know, move with their bodies and not necessarily with their words, right? And tell the stories in a very physical and outgoing sense, right? And that's fine and good, but like, that's not what I watch movies for, if that makes any sense, you know? Like, I watch movies definitely for like action and stuff but like my favorite types of movies that i've said before are dialogue driven movies right and while i'm very much into song and dance numbers as far as that goes right in animation formats as far as like surrealism right i I think there's a couple of interesting moments where they go into musicals like some surreal bizarre hokey stuff that i've seen like it's managed to find its way into different facets of cinema that i'm like like, there's there's a couple of legion episodes where they just have straight up song and dance numbers and they kind of come up out of nowhere you know david lynch i know loves playing around with just having random musical breaks in his movies right in order to kind of like break the feeling of reality right there's actually a really 
really interesting sequence in Mad Men, in the last season of Mad Men, where Don Draper is hallucinating about his recently deceased boss, Burt Cooper, and they end up breaking into a musical number, right? Musicals have had their place as far as that goes, but... It's, it's always, to me, the one instance where the story almost takes a backseat, right? Because when you actually take a look at what the story of this movie is, right? No detriment to it at all. It's very, very beyond simplistic to me. That's the thing. It's not anything bad. In fact, the message of this movie is beyond incredible as far as that goes. It's just the problem is there's not really necessarily entered any deeper meaning to it, right? And I've always... I don't know what it is, but there's always been something to me about, like, and I'll specifically say this with modern day musicals, where I've been very, very not a fan of kind of how lofty the message is, right? Because I feel like that kind of there's this going trend of that with some of the, some, you, right? You take a look at some of the more, um, so, some of the musicals that have done, like, really well and gotten a lot of attention recently. Like, you have Les Mis. It's like, oh, freedom during the French Revolution. That one, I feel like, is a, is a weird case because that one's more of a period piece, right? So it's got, and that one, I feel like, has got a little bit more of an engaging kind of deeper story. And so that, to me, is really the only one that kind of justifies the songs. But you have La La Land. It's like, oh, pursuing your dreams. And you have Beauty and the Beast, which, okay, we've seen Beauty and the Beast already. You know, it kind of adds nothing. And The Greatest Showman, which that movie is like, would take up a whole podcast in and of itself as far as the amount of stuff that they're trying to do with that movie. But again, it's they've always been very, very lofty and very fun. And I get why um, diehard theater heads like gravitate towards them. But for me, they've, they've always just been kind of a little bit too simplistic for me if that makes any sense you know like I said if I'm talking out of my ass please definitely let me know but like I feel like that to me is like I said factoring into kind of the whole um and into the whole kind of like that old school class of storytelling right that's kind of the part that really hasn't translated well for me and I feel like that part is I, I feel like that 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 stands here as well yeah I certainly think it is tricky to make any adaptation work but i specifically think with the musical because it's rooted in like you know like there's not a why i've always kind of thought this there's not a lens wide enough to cover everything that happens on a theater stage because there's just so much that is going on in the background like like every person in that production even if they're like for example like you know ghost number four they're still in the background of scenes adding an element of life to the performance, sort of bolstering what the stars of the play are doing. And so it's tough in like films to capture all of what happens on the stage. And, and I think it's a translation issue. And I think the, the, the hardest part for musicals is the filmmaker and, and his ability to not get too far away from what the original medium is intended for the art, for the specific piece, like for In the Heights in this example, but also find a way to, because you're now making it a movie and the point is to bring it to new audiences who might not want to go and see the play. And so you, it's like the ultimate threading of a needle. And it's like, it's a task I would never want to be given. It seems very arduous and very, very tricky to do. Um, and, and that's why it's... Uh, you know, I think the reverse effect, like the 42nd Street being a movie first and then going to a play, it's. I always feel like it might be easier to go from the movie medium first, get that right first, because it's it's different. It's a different conveying of emotions. But if it if it does work as a play, it's gonna you know you're because you're taking something that is so zoomed in in the movie version, and then you're adapting it to the play, which is like this giant theater, and there's so many people on stage. But when you do that from the play and you bring it zoomed into the camera, you're missing all the stuff in this area, right? You're missing all the stuff on the outside yeah. for the audio listeners. 
And that's always kind of how I felt. It's tricky. It really is difficult. But it I is. but I also think back to my original point about like artists not doing their homework and studying their history and and young artists thinking that they have all the answers and not understanding the feet and the shoulders of the of the titans of which they stand upon. There's a reason that musicals as movies were successful for such a long time and somewhere along the lines they stopped being. And you know, it's like not to say this movie wasn't successful, because I do actually think it was very well executed and very well done. I just kind of think it's an impossible task. Especially as we get further and further into the new decade and further and further away from the golden age of this genre. Yeah, definitely. So, I guess kind of if we could talk about the movie itself, right? So, the movie has the narrative device of, you know, it's being this one guy who's telling a story to this bunch of kids, basically, about the block that he grew up on in Washington Heights, basically, this predominantly African-American and Latino um, area of the city at that time period. They, they don't really specify at what point this takes place, but, like, the play came out in 2005, and when we watched the movie, they all have smartphones, right? So, it's the, the timing of this is kind of definitely interesting, right? But, again, it's we're, we're, the, it doesn't want to get bogged down to the specifics of the time period, right? It's more so trying to tell this timeless story. But the weird thing, right, if we could just talk about, like, the semantics of the plot is the fact that even though this is trying to be, like, a timeless story, it is both extremely timely in and of itself as far as, you know, dealing with still some of the plights that Latin Americans are still having to deal with in, uh what's it called, you know, within the kind of the immigrant experience in America, right? You know, kind of the plights of the past and dealing with modern-day immigration policies and everything that's going on with that. And I think the movie... Again, the movie itself is not concerned with necessarily like wanting to be a message about that, right? And I definitely think that that's where it succeeds because I because the last thing I feel like anyone needs, right? The we've you and I have already talked enough about how like that sort of political messaging has kind of affected a lot of our favorite movies a little bit too much, I'll say. But I definitely think that like it definitely hasn't invaded the musical space yet, which I'm very very happy about because I think that if anything needs to be more escapist than anything else, it's musicals. But I definitely think that there's something to that as far as how it's handling it. The problem that I have is that just as far as the storytelling goes, there's really not that much that actually happens here from a story standpoint. As far as like, okay, it's, you know, just the average daily day-to-day life, right? And then it's, oh, they're bouncing from location to location and we're meeting all of these different characters and then they're just, you know, going to have fun and then they're going out dancing and all that and then there's a blackout. And again, all of that, all of those elements, again, I really keep hate to keep beating a dead horse, but I really feel like it's important is that all of those elements portrayed on the stage to me are wonderful and I think completely benefit benefit the material. All of those elements for a story on a big screen, or in this case a small screen, right, if you're watching it on your TV at home on HBO Max, I don't necessarily think work, right? But then there's still those, those audience members, right, who I know who love watching musicals on the theater, right? Because for them, they're just there is no distinction, and they're just still able to enjoy what it is that they love about stage plays on the screen. Like, but like, I'm still trying to like figure out like where the disconnect is coming in, right? Because even as we're having this conversation, like I'm still like I'm like, where does the disconnect come in? You know? For me, the uh, the, the disconnect isn't really the same issue as you. Like, where I because I, I, I thought this movie didn't quite work as much as I would have wanted it to. Um, especially because, like, I do agree the way that they delivered the message was tasteful and it wasn't, um, like, you know, Hollywood using their superiority to beat something in our heads. Like, 
I'm sure a lot of people like can agree with this message. It's a pretty sound message, and it was very subtle. It wasn't. It didn't engulf the story and take you out of like the journey we were on with these characters as they grow and progress and navigate the life of living in New York City. So I actually really enjoyed it for its its tasteful but yet poignant um, response to sort of some of the immigration stuff. With that being said, I think it is very simplistic. I think that harkens back to storytelling of yesteryear, but I also think it was a little too simplistic for its own good. I think the songs moved a lot of the narrative along, but if you blink, you'll miss a lyric, and then you'll kind of be out of the loop. And I do think that something about it just loses me because... So, the way I was really thinking about it was... It's so good, yet I can't say I love it. And I was trying to I was trying to decide why. Like it's it's be- it looks beautiful. I love that they shot it on location. It really feels like New York City, and I think that's very important when you're talking about what we're talking about in this. You know, like like this is their home. And if you think about the whole story of like, well, we're talking about the Dreamers and how there's policies right now that are trying to get them out of the country. It's like you really wanted to feel like these people, this is their home, and they would know nothing else. So they did a great, I think, such a smart thing as a filmmaker to shoot it on location. And that's why I say shooting on location is more than just going against a green screen. You know, it's it's more than just, and I say going against not a shooting on a green screen, but going against the, the modern tradition of shooting with the green screen it's more than that because i think it adds like a whole nother element of life to the story and that was incredibly engaging i think that the cast everyone was perfect in their roles i thought they were all really good singers like no one felt to me like they didn't belong to be there They, they all felt like hey you might be actually an actor who got cast in this but your voice sounds pretty good and like you're actually like not a bad singer it was they all felt like musicians even if some of them weren't and probably some of them weren't some of them were probably just actors who got cast and they were trying something new and they worked at it and I think they achieved it. Where they lose me is just really the narrative, how simple it is. There's this rich political undertone, but there's not this... Like I never really felt the struggle for um, Vanessa and... Um, forgive me, I'm forgetting his name. Um, Usnavi. Yeah, I've never, I, I never truly believed their their struggle and their fight to find each other. Like it never truly felt like the Romeo and Juliet storyline that I wanted. Like, give me that. I'm okay with seeing that over and over again, especially in a musical, uh, which is, uh, especially in a genre like the musical rather, which is rooted in traditional Hollywood storytelling. So I'm okay with taking one of the oldest tropes where the lovers are meant to be together, but they can't because something is between them and they have to fight and eventually realize that it's worth making it. But I never like believed their struggle. It never felt like it was earned. You know, it felt like um, the um, the second couple um, portrayed by uh, Corey Hawkins and Leslie Grace, it felt like their struggle was more earned and it's they had far less screen time. Yeah, and, no, I'm with and, you as far. And the last thing I'll say is it kind of also felt confused where is this a family story because i i was more compelled by um usnavi and his little his little nephew storyline rather his cousin yeah rather yeah his his cousin rather than uh, usnavi and vanessa which is is horrible because i thought vanessa every time she was on screen she rocked man her voice was amazing she really was like so captivating or, or, like i felt like she worked so well for the musical genre which yes. is awesome because she's not 
as far as I know, I looked it up. She's just an actress who took a musical role. So that was very yeah. impressive to me. But I just, yeah, I think they dropped the ball with our leads. Their chemistry was great, but they like didn't have enough of the substance to, to justify it. Yeah, I'm with you as far as all that goes. Because again, I think to back on my further points, I think that all of that on stage, I think it works. All of this on screen, though, again, like just there's something about the narrative, right? It's like her goal is like, oh, she wants to open up, uh, she wants to open up her own fashion salon, like you know, at her apartment, but she can't get the loan and everything. And then, oh, he just wants to go to the back to the dr so he can open up his father's old business because he's stuck in some idea of nostalgia. And there's that disconnect there. And then also he wants to take his cousin. But meanwhile, I actually think that like the, I'm with you as far as the whole Benny and Leslie Grace. I, I can't remember her character's name thing because that that to me is like was really engaging as far as she doesn't want to go to college because she feels like she's missing something from uh you know fr- from her experience growing up and she feels like she's becoming too modernized right but at the same time her dad wants her to have something that he never really did as far as that goes you're you're 100% right on the money as far as that narrative goes right and and that's the problem is i don't necessarily know if that critique comes from uh comes from the original stage play or if that comes from the adaptation of, from the stage play to uh, what's called to the big screen, as far as that goes, because you're right. As far as the actual filming, the overall the overall kind of simple nature of it, right? That works if your characters are engaging, but with, with just within the with the overall narration is how they're portrayed. You're right. There's there's something missing there as far as that goes. Yeah, it's it's tricky, and I just don't quite know because I also thought that maybe. The intention of this was really just to be a slice of life to show audiences a side of. I mean, you made a great comment earlier. This is a beautifully diverse cast. It's yeah. and they're all incredibly talented. And I think, you know, Hollywood clearly is is moving towards that, and rightfully so because these are some amazingly talented actors who we get to see shine in this movie. And so I almost wonder if like that's okay with the filmmakers dropping the ball on that storyline or only pushing it as far as they did, right? Maybe they don't feel it was dropping the ball because, hey, really, this is just a slice-of-life depiction of a neighborhood of New York City that maybe you haven't heard of too much. You know, maybe it's, it's, you know, it's not Harlem. It's not like, you know, the Cloisters. It's not like, you know, the village. It's, it's Washington Heights, which is a neighborhood that doesn't really have sort of like anything that we would know of because it hasn't been portrayed before and maybe they just wanted to give it some sort of esteem and sort of show you like a peek behind the curtain of something that you haven't been exposed to, which I think is cool and I was all for it because I thought it was very well done. So I also wonder if there's that there, you know? Maybe it, maybe it's not about... Maybe the reason it's so scattered and each storyline isn't pushed as far as as we kind of feel because at the end of the film it's like oh the whole summer's gone by, it's like right. It's like you you don't even feel like a, like a day yeah. passes by by the time that by the by, by the time we get to the end you're like Wait, right, what but, the end of summer what happened? But then Benny tells Nina he's like oh man like so you're going back to school and I'm like whoa it's been a whole you're summer like, what? What already happened? okay um so maybe yeah, that was quick. And th- then I thought to myself maybe that wasn't the point of this movie right maybe the characters were so good and the actors were so perfect in their roles that they got you invested but maybe that wasn't the original intent again that still doesn't quite work for me because i do think it never the fact that i'm speculating about what the purpose is and the fact that i can't fully critique it as a critic i I don't want to say it takes away points this isn't a test or anything but it does make it it does make it more difficult to 
say that that's a positive, but I could yeah. see that being the case. Does that make sense? I do. Yeah, it's the trick of you know kind of being a movie critic versus being like a, you know like a musical theater critic. That's what I mean. There, there is a again like I. I I didn't want to like kind of to jump back on my point as far as it not working. I don't necessarily. You're right. I don't think it's necessarily that it doesn't work, but it's like there is a difference in mediums. Therefore, it's like like I've said this before, right? You don't levy the same type of criticism that you levy towards a movie as you would towards like a book or like a video game, right? Because they're inherently different modes of storytelling, right? In a weird way, I feel like everything that we're saying here also kind of applies to like kind of our critique as far as Mortal Kombat goes. Where Mortal Kombat, even though that movie still was a step above the rest, it still kind of suffered from the same problems as far as the actual ad adaptation of it goes that other video game adaptations have because they are inherently different means and different methods and different modes of storytelling, right? You're right. What I found is that a majority of musicals that I watch, the storytelling is usually not that forward moving and not that trajectory. And most of it is slice of life, right? Part of the reason why I love Jersey Boy so much is that because there's not a whole lot, I would say, that happens, right? Most of the actual like kind of forward momentum that happens in that stage play is through montage, right? And a majority of the juicy moments are kind of like the character moments, slice of life moments, right? It's different, right, on a case-by-case basis, right? But that, to me, is ultimately the draw of musicals, right? Is like I said, you're not going for the story per se you're going for the performance the story's there and it's definitely needed in order to make the the experience work but more than anything else right you're going for the stage play experience you're going for the experience not necessarily for the story if that kind of makes any sense it does it definitely does and you know the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about was like the music and the, the yes. storytelling through music because this is definitely one of the more heavier musicals that rely on uh, the songs being more longer and drawn out, whereas like a Les Mis is more narrative and then the song reinforces the narrative, but you do have actually acting. Not that you don't have it in this movie, but it is few and far between if, if you were to do like a breakdown of, of verses when they're in song and when they're not. I thought they did a great job of uh, making it, like I said earlier, a fusion between so many different genres, like having that musical history of what, what this genre is built upon and paying respects to it and homage to it while bringing in elements of the culture of which they're trying to enrich and put on display and show to like people like us who we grew up in like Italian families, like we don't know all the traditions, you know? So it's like, it's cool to see that and get a taste of that and understand that. And um, basically it's like, the last thing, they're also getting people who might not care about any of those two things. They're just like, oh, cool, there's a little hip-hop in there? That's like the most popular music right now. I'm going to go check that out. I like hip-hop. And it did a great job of having a little something for everything while portraying the storyline and pushing it through in a way that was like concise and clear. And every character's you know interjection, their call and responses all had a purpose and, and it worked. And when a new character was introduced, you kind of got to see where their head was at at that moment. And they joined the song and they did a great job of like changing the mood and the motifs based on where the character was at in their individual journey. However, I don't think it was catchy enough. I think you don't leave there having something to just sing in your head, you know? Like I thought the the uh, the opening sequence where they sing in the heights that was such a catchy little way that they sung in the heights and and it doesn't come back until the very end. I mean, usually you have sort of repeating motifs and themes that are you know overarching throughout the entire thing, and we had the overture at the end, sure, like all musicals, but 
I mean, the only piece I really remember was Lin Manuel Lin Manuel Miranda's uh, "Shaved Ice" song, which was awesome, by the way. I loved that little like yeah. I don't know what you call that entendre. I thought it was uh, really strong. It was it was awesome, um, but like that's like the only because they repeated it so much in that song. Like that's the only thing that really left me wanting to get up out of my chair and sing afterwards. And I couldn't even really remember it because it was more dialogue through song than I think song for the sake of music in a musical, you know, like I felt like we could have used a little more narrative so that the music could have been maybe just a little more infectious. It didn't, it didn't get me the way I wanted it to. Like, I wanted to go to Spotify and save the In the Heights album so I can listen to it at work this week, but I just don't think it was catchy enough for me to want to do that, and I really wanted that to be the case. Do you know what I mean there? Yeah. No, I, I get you. I, I get everything that you're saying as far as that goes. Like, I'll admit, like, the, part of the reason of why... You- of why people love certain musicals is the catchiness of the songs and that just wasn't there for me like honestly gun to my head i i couldn't name off a single song in this movie outside of you know in the heights which was the opening track and i couldn't name off a single lyric for that you know i don't know if that's just necessarily kind of like my thoughts towards musicals in general just like kind of the lack of kind of impact that these songs kind of had which is really disheartening considering that you know this is i feel like such an such a well-done film as far as, you know, its portrayal of message. Really, there's only one thing else that I really wanted to talk about, and I feel like it's kind of the sum-up of all of our points that we brought up, though, about just the musical genre so far, which is this film's performance overall at the box office, which is, I feel like, again, it's been the, the kind of the, the narrative of this year surrounding the movies that have done well is that basically the is that the movies that are going to theaters have been doing well, right? Like, because, you know... Obviously, that's kind of what we wanted, right? We wanted to get back to the theater-going experience, right? And Hollywood wanted, you know, people to start going back to movies because that's the the best way that their movies are going to continue to make money, and that's kind of the only way that like the old school Hollywood will continue to like survive in this new era of streaming and not have to co out to streaming and all that. But you know, so obviously everything that we've heard, right? You know, ever since Kong versus Godzilla versus Kong made a big made a big sink. You know, Godzilla versus Kong made money. Mortal Kombat made money. Um, Quiet Place 2 made money. Conjuring made money. Spiral made money, right? This is the first movie so far, and again, it's weird because, but these are really the only movies we have to compare to as far as, you know, the HBO Max drops versus, you know, simultaneous HBO Max and going to theaters drops, which is that this movie only cleared $11.4 million for its opening weekend. It was only, it was barely able to hit $13 million for its opening weekend, as opposed to that Quiet Place in, what, its third, fourth weekend in theaters, cleared $11.7 million. So this movie was only able to come in second to a movie that has already been in theaters for almost a month now. Like, yeah. so... I wanted to talk about that as far as that goes, right? Like, why that is. Like, is it the musicals thing? Because, of course, everyone, uh, every, every critic, right, that has been kind of against HBO Max and wanting HBO Max to fail for a variety, for a myriad of different reasons, right? Whether it just be the Warner Brothers of it all and kind of just the overall anti-Warner Brothers feeling in the air right now or just the, um, or just the, or just the streaming of it all, right, with how badly they botched the HBO Max release and then, again, not wanting to, you know, lobby every single shot that they can towards HBO Max as far as kind of that being, only because that's really the only streaming app that's kind of made its, its thoughts apparent as far as 
okay, we are actively competing with drawing movies away from the theaters in a way that no other streaming service really is, right? Because Disney Plus is still charging people like $30 to watch their movies, and Paramount Plus has the has the um has the 45-day window, and Sony has the certain day window before they go to Netflix, and every studio is doing it differently, right? So like I wanted to know what your thoughts were on that as far as that goes. Yeah, I think I can sum it up pretty quickly and concisely. Basically, it was already a tall order to have a musical try and achieve success outside of the Academy, sort of bringing it a new life towards the end of the year when it's going to obviously be considered for Oscar nominations. But uh, just because, like, I don't know, for all those musicals you named earlier, the only one that I heard of making any impact in the modern day was La La Land. And part of that, I think, is because of the Oscar mix-up. <laughs> Let's be honest. It uh, certainly yeah. garnered an unfortunate yeah. legacy from yeah. that. And so I just think it's already a tough enough ask outside of like Hamilton or La La Land for something to truly thrive and be successful as a musical. But then on top of that, you're closing its theatrical window. I mean, Cats was more of a meme than it was like right. a successful film. And and even that, Cats, was so well-known. I mean, this is a play that relatively had it... Like I said, it was popular in its in its genre, in its scene, but it really never crossed over until now into the pop culture zeitgeist. And so you're going to cut into those profits by having it come out on HBO Max? There's no chance. Thank God this isn't something that right. deems a sequel, because it wouldn't get it, unfortunately. Whereas I think yeah. the filmmaking would have justified enough, let's say this was a traditional theatrical movie, non-musical, to get a second one and to build upon it. But the returns would not have warranted that, and that's where HBO Max hurts it. And at least that's where this one, this one specific instance, rather, it's not detrimental. But I certainly think it's going to come in at a loss, and I think that's unfortunate, and I think... It wouldn't have made too much more, but this is the kind of movie where, like, any bit of profit counts, right? And uh, right. It's, it's, they're definitely going to be hurting a little bit from this one, if I had to guess. Yeah, definitely. It's hip- yeah, it's hypocritical on the part of the critics, right? Because guess what? In two months, when Suicide Squad comes out and does great, they're going to be like, oh, HBO Max only helped it, right? So, it, again, it's a case-by-case basis with the movies, right? I don't think the HBO Max really has that much to do with it. It really is just in the in the instance of, guess what? The movies that would have already done well, that would have that people already would have gone out to the theaters to see it, are going to do well. And the movies that would have had to struggle and really depended on the fact that they were only in theaters are going to suffer. And that's ultimately what this comes down to. It's like you were saying, this style of filmmaking, despite the fact that it's been seeing a little bit of a resurgence is becoming a bit too antiquated for its own good, and I don't necessarily know if Lynn was enough. To, I, I just don't know if Lynn Manuel Miranda is enough of a of a household. And I think people kind of a little overestimated him a little bit, right? I definitely think the pandemic obviously gave Hamilton a little bit of the jump up that it needed, right? But I don't necessarily know if he's got kind of like the uh, the IP power, the name power, right, to really market something like this. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to, as far as kind of the overall box office. I don't think it's necessarily that hard. I think if you think about it, it it, it makes perfect sense as far as that goes. So. As far as kind of, I feel like that's kind of everything that I really had to say about this movie. So as far as get, you know, getting it going with the wrap up with my final thoughts on it, I feel like my the first sentence of my of my letterbox review summed it up perfectly, which is I said, "Yep, 
It's a musical, all right, because I, at the risk of, like, again, just kind of repeat, regurgitating the same spiel that I've been saying about musicals, right? There are musicals, musicals had their time, I would say, and while I appreciate that there are st- that Hollywood is still trying to make them a thing, I still think they've got a long way to go before we can finally get, like, an artist that's actually able to, like, kind of translate them into a more modernistic sense of storytelling that really works for everyone else. I think that this film, while it had the right intentions, I definitely think that kind of, I, and while I think that the craft was exceptional, this was one of the first instances where I haven't seen the craft kind of overpowering um what's it called the the filmmaking in a way that's kind of detrimental from a visual sense i still think that this kind of falls into a lot of the same pitfalls that previous musical movies that i've seen fall into and it kind of takes away from me a lot from a movie that while i was never certainly anticipating this is one of my favorites of the year i could definitely say that the people who like musicals i think are going to really enjoy this and i think the people who are kind of like me i say just skip this one if i'm being nice i give this three and a half out of five stars Fair enough. I think I give this three and a half, five stars, not not giving it any sort of leeway, because I do think it was exceptional. Like I said, his ability to sort of create a genre with within uh, the musical world, you know, merging the old and new was brilliant. I, I really enjoyed sort of being let into a culture that I, I would really have no way of, of knowing about. It's like, I know my culture my cultures rather very strongly, but I, I just, I wouldn't have no way of knowing sort of this type of stuff. And I, I appreciate it for that, especially because I love learning through things I love in this case, music. And I really felt like I did that in this movie. And again, the performances were great. Like all of these non-singers came in and crushed it. And they honestly, I don't think anyone was poorly cast. I just, technically this music, this musical looks and sounds beautiful it's just, I think, the translation, the, the translation from uh, stage to screen, uh, once again, created a barrier for me. So yeah, three and a half stars, which isn't bad, honestly. It's it's a pretty good score, right. considering the, the slew yeah. of movies we've had this year that I've seen. So yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And the only reason why I say as far as being fair is only because, like, again, because I, I've made my, my bias against these straight-up musicals live action very, very known, so I didn't want to come off as, like, being, like, inherently biased against it, you know, kind of letting my critique I show as far as that goes. So no, I get it. that's really it. Those were our thoughts. Yeah. That's really it. Those were our thoughts on In the Heights, the movie adaptation. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. Let us know if you're crazy. Let us know if you are a musical fan. Let us know, like, kind of, if you're seeing something from this movie that we didn't necessarily see. Whatever your thoughts are, leave them in the comment section below. Be sure to also click the subscribe button and the like button on this video. Keep tuning back into more this week, people. Penultimate installment of the Fast and Furious. We've got Furious 7 coming on Wednesday. We've got another variety show on Friday. Be sure to also check out the latest episode of Talking Thrones that aired with myself and Professor Pat last night. Chris, where could the good people find you? Yeah, man. They can find me in all the same places they can find the Talking TV podcast. At Christian Ivanko. Ivanko spelled E-V-A-N-K-O. Since I was talking about my uh, personal culture so much. That's actually not an Italian last name. It's a Czechoslovakian last name. Just so you guys don't get confused. Um, it's, I always wondered. People like always trying to make it Italian because, but it's not. It's but anyways. Uh, yeah. So basically, you can find me and my strange last name anywhere that matters. Um, on all the different social medias and through the link in my bio, you could find my music, which is coming uh, soon. And and of course, please go check out the songs I already have out because. You know, music isn't um, as zeitgeisty as a film. You know, artists can go longer amount of time without putting something out. 
and uh, I think it still stands on its heels. So I, I hope you guys would check that out. And of course, I have another podcast called Talking with Andrew and Chris, a show about life, music, and everything in between, all available through the link in my bio. Of course, Dom has social medias too, and why don't you tell them where they can find you, man? Yes, showing off my brand new bald head at Facebook and Instagram at Movie Nerd Reviews, all one word. I occasionally post sarcastic things and movie news and trailers, and that's pretty much it. And people, once again, thank you for tuning into a new episode of the Talking TV Podcast. We'll see you guys on the flip. Remember, as always, 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll be back next week with Luca and the week after that with the long-awaited F9. But until then, watch more fucking movies. Oh,